Cinema Sit-Down, Episode 228, a review of Goodfellas, hosted by Ryan Bull, Richard Lusk, and Tony Crist, February 7th, 2020. The following podcast has been approved for all audiences by Flying Bull Productions. part of any film is the sit-down afterwards. Richard Lusk and Ryan Bull bring you Cinema Sit-Down. Welcome to Cinema Sit-Down in the year 2020. I am your host, Ryan Bull. Join me across the table is Richard Lusk. How are you, sir? Great. And How are you doing? I'm doing great. We are also joined by our third co-host, Tony Christ, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, guys. How are you doing? Great I'm still again. doing great, yeah. <laughs> still great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we're in the middle of our Martin Scorsese uh, mini feature film retrospective. Review of On uh, our previous episode, we did Who's That Knock at My Door, the 1968 Martin Scorsese film that was actually his first feature film. And today we're covering Tony's favorite film, Goodfellas, which is arguably, and I'm sure we'll get into this, Martin Scorsese's most successful film. Uh, Tony, do you want to introduce the film? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so this is uh, 1990 is when the movie came out. Uh, it's called Goodfellas, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, uh, written by Scorsese and uh, an author named Nicholas Pelegi, who was kind of a true crime novelist uh, who wrote the book that this is based off of called Wise Guy. They changed the name for the movie. And uh, there's a little bit of a connection between this one and Casino, which was the next movie the, um, that Scorsese did after this, because uh, that was also based off a true story written by Nicholas Pelagi, and they worked on that together. So there's a lot of parallels between Goodfellas and Casino. Uh, but of the two, I think Goodfellas is the superior one. Hmm. And so the movie itself is about uh, a young kid. He starts off with a young kid named Henry Hill, who a, was a real-life person, uh, who grew up in a neighborhood... Uh, with uh, some uh, gangsters, some mafia, uh, some mob people. And uh, Henry Hill gets involved with the the group as a young kid and kind of grows up uh, within the family. And uh, he meets along a lot of colorful characters in this, including Robert De Niro's character, uh, Jimmy, the uh, the Gent Conway, and then Joe Pesci plays uh, Tommy DeVito in uh, in an Academy Award-winning performance by Joe Pesci. Ugh. Really? I am not a Joe Pesci fan, and this is arguably the most Joe Pesci of all of his performances. This was really, if you think of Joe Pesci, this is him. Like, My Cousin Vinny, which I think was after this, he's playing this character in My Cousin Vinny. That's that's the one I thought he won the Academy Award no, for. No, Marissa Tomei won it for that. Uh, right, so, yeah. Uh, uh, Pesci, Weinstein got, bought, her, bought, it, bought that for her. Yeah. Pesci uh, won this as a Best Supporting Actor. And it was actually one of the things I was looking at. I was really surprised that uh, Robert De Niro hadn't been nominated for, for like Best Supporting Actor for this. Uh, but the same year, he had been nominated for Best Actor for Awakenings, which is a pretty good movie mm-hmm. with Robin Williams. But I think he's much better in this as a performer than he was as a leading actor in Awakenings. Yeah, but still, that 
Pesci's the one that comes away with an Oscar from this film. It was nominated for Best Picture. Arguably, it's one of the biggest snubs in all of Oscar history. Uh, Scorsese, famously, he, he didn't win for Best Director. I think it was nominated for a bunch of other uh, stuff like film editing and yeah. screenplay. And it comes away with one award. And it's Pesci. And I don't know, Pesci to me has never been believable as the tough guy especially the tough gangster guy i know he's trying to be like a modern day james cagney or something yeah it's just never worked for me hmm. i can see uh, that um but i think yeah it's just, i can't see that i disagree well i think he's really good in this. <laughs> Pesci's the best part of this movie. well i think he's got he plays the Pesci as a like shorter guy whatever is got the napoleon complex down to a t i think as far as like a tough little guy and, you know, again, in here, I mean, he's, he's one way as Tommy. Uh, but, again, you parallel him to the uh, casino, where he is just like a sadistic person in the casino uh, as well on top of this. Um, like, he takes it to another level in casino when he yeah. jabs the pen on the guy's neck just for, you know, calling De Niro's character a bad name. Hmm. You know, now, here he shoots a guy in the foot for not bringing him water or whatever. <laughs> and then kills him, you know, like at the next scene. Yeah, doesn't he? That's... <laughs> Shooting him in the foot's one thing, but killing him is quite a different yeah. thing. Because the guy stood up for himself. He guys, you know, told him, you know, what to do with himself, and Pesci shot him. Yeah, I, I just, uh, for whatever reason, it didn't work uh, terribly well for me. I actually enjoyed Joe Pesci and The Irishman, and I thought he was arguably the best part of that film. I could see that. He was good in that. But that, yeah, he had calmed down a lot. I, I, I don't know, there's just something where i feel like when he's on screen he goes into this acting mode and he's trying that's to what get... most actors do <laughs> but but it should be seamless instead i feel like he's just begging for attention and for everyone hmm. to pay attention to him and you know de niro just kind of puts up with him like he's some kid cousin well, and he feels sorry for him. Yeah, De Niro and uh, Pesci and, and all the movies they've done together, like this, like uh, Raging Bull, then this, the Casino. Um, they have, what's that, Looney Tunes, where you have the real big dog that's kind of quiet and the little dog that's kind of yappy. That's mm -hmm. kind of their relationship. Yeah, I, I guess. And uh, I don't know. It, 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 that part didn't work for me. I really enjoyed, though, the voiceover work. Uh, yeah. uh, and I like Ray Liotta a lot in this film. Um I haven't always been a huge Ray Liotta fan, but I think this is his finest hour, and he should have gotten a nomination. I think so for sure. For sure, yeah. This was he was definitely in his element because you'll see him in other stuff pops up, or you know he he's kind of a star in the '90s and then kind of faded away a little bit and did some smaller things. He's on some TV show too lately, but yeah, he's definitely this was kind of his peak. I think. I think after this movie, it's hard to see for me to see any of those three actors as anything other than their, their real personalities. Right. Like I don't see a chameleon like performance from anybody after this movie. Yeah. And I think with uh, De Niro or Leota or, uh, or Pesci. No, I think they really do. They fell into these characters really well. In I don't know. De Niro in the adventures of, Rocky and Bullwinkle. I mean, he does become fearless leader. Well, I haven't seen that, <laughs> so that's, that's pretty good. Um, but uh, well, that's what I think here. You know, and even um, with uh, his 
uh, wife Karen in this, uh, uh, Ray Liotta's wife, uh, or Henry Hill's wife Karen in this, you know, they work really well together. I think everybody kind of just works well together in this movie, and it really is. And this is one, uh, I had read the book years ago, Wise Guy, uh, after I'd seen the movie, but as I was reading the book, it's like beat for beat, line for line from the from the book to the movie. So even if you read the book after this, you can picture these scenes in your head. Um, and they don't, they don't cut a whole lot out. They change the names. In the book, it's all the real names. In the movie, the only real name uh, is Henry Hill from real life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the basic premise of this, of the plot, was that there is a couple of, you know, they're part of a, a gang family, but there was a kind of a couple of big heists that uh, the Pauli Cicero is the main head of it, played by Paul Savino, oversees a lot of the... Uh, the uh, criminal activity of the guys and all he doesn't like organize anything but they just have to pay it to him and like the big one was the Latanza heist in the 70s uh, which is kind of a cool thing because my parents lived, lived up in near the uh, JFK airport or Ottawa airport at the time knew it and knew it happened and kind of knew some people in the neighborhood who may have had ties to it and my parents hmm. from Long Island were not they're way far away removed from any kind of criminal activity but they knew of people who knew of people Sure, of course, Tony. We'll go with that story. <laughs> so, but my dad, I remember, because one of the times we were watching this together, he goes, oh, that's what this is? I, oh, I remember when this happened. Oh, yeah, they never caught it. Oh, we all knew who did it. We just They just never caught the guys. <laughs> right, they never did charge, uh, what was it, Jimmy Conway? Yeah, Jimmy Conway or Jimmy Burke in real life. In real life, yeah. yeah. And I think it was something where, I forget it was this time or something else with Burke uh, or Jimmy Conway in real life. Uh, when he, he was arrested for something and was supposed to testify, and he's had the record for the most times played in the fifth. Like, he wouldn't even answer his own name. They asked him what your name was, and they go through that. And I think they play that off in The Irishman, too, where they're going through uh, interrogating a guy on the stand, and he won't answer any question. And it's like, is this pen blue? Unbro- you know, my counsel, I will not testify. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Watching Goodfellas you know, this past week, because it'd been a long time since I'd seen it. I really enjoyed it. But the thing that kept getting in my head was uh, Steve Martin in his portrayal of the same character oh, of Henry Blue Hill yeah. from My Blue Heaven, because I have I only saw that in the last six months or so. Yeah. So it, it does change things going and watching this film and always thinking, like, what would Steve Martin be like in some of these scenes? Yeah, well, it's one of those things you get, and they get the criticism with like this one with The Godfather, and some of those where they glorify criminal activity, uh, where it's all the good, 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 and then you know Henry, you know his character kind of figures out, hey, all these guys around me are falling, I'm next, and then when he gets caught later on for selling drugs and all that, and the only reason he turns you know good is to prevent himself from going to jail and then being killed. Yeah, and it's in, the only... in real life, and so like he's got no redeeming qualities. And then even in real life, he gets kicked out of witness protection because he still keeps uh, dealing drugs and stuff. Right. There, there's no option for this guy except – have you been to his website? <laughs> the real guy? Henry Hill now. Yeah. Henry Hill Goodfella or something like that. Dot com. Yeah. Goodfella Henry or sure, something no, he like that. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he was a regular on the Howard Stern show and stuff. And some of his – you know, you got – some of his stuff got debunked later on as he was telling people. Like, so, like, the – the book, you know, it was more research, but Henry Hill's stories got bigger and bigger. I think as he ran out of things to talk about, you know, he would, you know, embellish some things. And I think he never takes credit for killing anybody, but, you know, he was always around the guys like a Jimmy or like a Tommy. 
So I think well, he, there's an interesting 30 for 30 about him. Uh, uh, what's it called? Point and a point shaving scandal yeah. with uh, Boston College. Yeah, no, yeah, he did that, and even, he was behind that. Um, um, Luffy Rosenthal from Casino had was involved with that as well, involved in similar point shaving stuff as well. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting how they go through things, and you know, kind of the time period. I like how the time change. Like we talked about, I think on this one or one of the earlier shows, where Scorsese doesn't do a lot of pop culture references, but this taking place starting in the 50s up through the 60s and 70s and to the 80s, you don't get like a time, like a date on the screen, but you can just see the, the, the clothes change a lot and the music changes. And so you kind of get the sense that way where I think there's a scene when they come, he, uh, Henry comes home, I like it from, he comes home for Christmas and he's got this big, white, ugly tree and he's like, Karen, I bought the largest tree they had. Let's get it up. And it's just, it doesn't fit with anything. But that was just, again, watching that with my parents. My dad's like, yep, we had that tree one year because everybody had to have the weird one. My dad's got that tree now. Right. Which is <laughs> something that's so, you know, it's just such a universal thing to have. Um, a big white artificial Christmas tree. <laughs> well, and going on the time period thing, this kind of takes over where the first two Godfather movies stop right because those end in the 60s and the 50s Mm -hmm. so i mean really it comes down to godfather and goodfellas these are considered the definitive uh mobster films and i think they work because they do take place in these different eras and this would have been a much better godfather 3 than godfather 3 was (laughs) fair enough i'm not going to argue that doesn't doesn't this just roll into the sopranos i mean Without Goodfellas, could you even have a uh, like a cultural? Uh, well, I got half the cast uh, of Goodfellas is in the Sopranos. Like, yeah, I guess my point is that the Sopranos is sort of a sequel to this. Right, it's kind of like if these guys you made it up through the nineties and two thousands. You know, if they still are alive, like I think uh, James Gandolfini's character is very much like Paul Servino's uh, character in this. Michael Imperioli is just exactly like Spider. Right, that is Spider, right? No, I'm just kidding. Well, and I think there was something where in the scene uh, when uh, Spider, uh, when he gets shot, he's carrying a tray of glasses and he falls down and breaks his hand or cuts his hand on one of the glasses. Uh, but he's got the blood pack on his foot. So when they hit him through the doctors, they're looking at his foot instead of his hand, which is like gushing real blood. Because his, his <laughs> foot has, you know, got a big bullet hole in it or whatever. And so the doctors want to look at that first. He goes, no, that's my hand. It's my hand. Huh. Um, yeah, and it's one of those things too. Again, I don't know if you can do it today, where they had a lot of the guys who were still alive from who survived all this stuff from the uh, Gambino family working on the movie. You know, as you know, Henry Hill was there quite a bit, and some of the other guys who knew of people like that were still alive. Yeah, allegedly, De Niro even you. called uh, Jimmy Burke in prison to talk to him. I don't think that actually happened, but I think they, I think De Niro wanted to try to do it, and they wouldn't let him. Well, the FBI agent that convinced Henry Hill to join the witness protection program is the FBI agent in the film speaking directly to uh, Ray Liotta and right. Lorraine Bacco. Right. Know, so. uh, Ray Liotta used a lot of the uh, FBI tapes that they had of, of Henry Hill testifying for his performance. Like he would listen to the tapes to try to get the cadence down. Which I think is another thing that we talk about Ray Liotta doesn't fit in other movies is because he doesn't really talk like Henry Hill talks in the movie. But when you hear him as that voice, like that's his voice, right? And that's like mm. Karen. Yeah, Karen. And like, yeah, it was just like I got the biggest one. Or like even the end when he's like, 
you know, I'm an average nobody. I'm just a schnook. It's just like, that's a great reading of a line. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, like I said it would before, this is probably, of all my movies I've, I've watched and liked, this is probably my favorite one uh, compared to, like, you know, I've got, like, favorite comedy. I've got a favorite comic book. I've got all comic book movies, but of all movies at the top, this would be it. Strong pick. Oh, so, and so then, by far, this is your favorite uh, Scorsese film. Yeah, I think so. I mean, as, as far as that goes, yeah. So I was looking at his other ones, and I've liked most of them. I didn't like Hugo so much. I didn't like Silence that much either. Uh, but of his other ones, even like a Shutter Island's got some parts that are kind of interesting. Um, I'd read the book of that too, but like this is, as far as anything, my favorite De Niro performance is in this one. I know we talked about The King of Comedy, which is a little bit different, but... I think my De Niro's, when I think of the De Niro movie, this is what I would show people. Like, if you want to, if you, if you don't like De Niro in this movie, you're not going to like him. That's fair. So, I, I guess I like this film. I, I liked it when it came out. Um, to me, this is kind of the definitive Scorsese film, not my favorite Scorsese film. Um, for me, that's Color of Money, Paul Newman, Tom Cruise. I think that's a stronger character piece. I do think in this time period, this late eighties, early nineties, Scorsese got a lot better on having character pieces and having characters say and do things that were just more interesting. And it let him kind of calm down some of the camera work. Uh, there's still some great shots. There's the famous tracking shot that goes into the nightclub and Scorsese has a chance to show off, but he also knows just how to get good actors on set working and giving him great lines to say. And I think this time period, I I would say it runs up till about Casino. Maybe you could argue bringing out the dead. But this, for me, is Scorsese's most successful period in his uh, directing career. Yeah, I think this is, it might be coincide with when he was, he'd gotten clean. Because I know he had, had some drug issues and maybe some alcohol issues too. So starting with the color of money and less impatient of Christ, I think his mind was finally clear of any kind of distractions he had been going through. Hmm. This is my favorite movie with Catherine Scorsese in it. <laughs> she that part, the part. Yeah, there's so many. That's what we're talking about. There's so many great lines in here. And both you mentioned that before, where you know, and I think Joe Pesci supposedly improved it with the "You think I'm funny?" Like that's just a great line. Uh, kind of a funny scene with that. Again, it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It just kind of establishes. Joe Pesci's character as like a guy who will go off on anybody because you know he, he flips out on the waiter after that but when they uh, uh, go get your shine box that uh, Billy says to him and Joe Pesci flips on him and when they, they stab him and take him to the car that's such a great scene because they go to their mom's Joe Pesci's mom's house and they're just talking about nothing and she doesn't she just thinks her son's a good boy she has no idea what he's doing <laughs> and you see they're talking and in the back seat of the, of the window you see the trunk's kicking open a little bit I've got that painting, a poster of that painting in my uh, room at school. <laughs> of oh, the, the guy the, on the on the boat with the dog? Yeah, one guy goes this way, the other guy goes the other way. Yeah. yeah and he's like, yeah, he hey, looks like a, someone yeah, we know. Like someone or we one know. dog goes oh, one way. I got it, that. And that's where Henry's going, because Henry doesn't talk during the whole scene. You know. Well, uh, she actually painted that. Catherine Scorsese. Oh, did she really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's really proud of it. Yeah. She was also in the movie we just talked about. Yeah, she's, she's, she's she was his mother in... Yeah, and uh, so she plays a pretty good role as a mother. In the king of comedy, she's great. You don't see her, but she plays Rupert's mom. She yells at him from the upstairs in the basement. <laughs> and she's like, Rupert! And he's like, Mom! Huh. 
<laughs> so I think I liked this movie more when I first saw it. And I think each subsequent viewing of it makes it uh, it makes it one of my least favorite Scorsese movies for whatever reason. I guess it just becomes too Scorsese. Well, I think right? it, it, it can be, it's easily parody because as a kid, before I saw this movie, uh, there's a show Animaniacs, and they had the good feathers, and all three characters in that were based off of the guys in this in this movie. And so it was one of those deals, kind of like watching Casablanca, if you've never seen it before. When you watch it, it's like, oh, I've already seen this, because every single scene in that movie is parodied in somewhere else. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know. How many, how many times do you think you've seen it, Tony? Goodfellas? Yeah. Um, in the 20s, probably maybe even higher. Bull? Uh, probably under five. Yeah, I think I've seen it about five times. Like I said, it's just it's it doesn't grow on me like uh, my favorite one. My favorite, De, sorry, uh, De Niro performance and Scorsese movie is Raging Bull. Yeah, but I, I've probably seen that six or seven times, and every time I watch that, I get something more out of it. This one, it just seems to get more aggravating. <laughs> I don't know. I loved it the first time I saw it, but well, there's uh, some stuff I, I do like with Raging Bull, and then going to Goodfellas and then Casino is that there's a story arc between Joe Pesci and Frank Vincent, where in uh, Raging Bull, Pesci beats up Frank Vincent. In Goodfellas, he outright kills him. He's the shine box guy. In the casino, Frank Vincent finally gets his revenge. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like a three-movie three arc between those two characters. Uh, I didn't know you were talking about Frank Vincent. Is that the actor? Yeah, that's the actor. So okay. he's like one of the mob guys in Raging Bull. And uh, who I think is hitting on De Niro's wife, and Joe Pesci beats him up outside of the bar, and, like brings his head inside the car door and stuff. And then Goodfellas, he comes out of prison, and he you know tell, he's Billy Bats, and he tells him to go, not Billy, well, Billy something, and he tells him to go get a shine and shine box and all that. And Joe Pesci kills him with the with De Niro. And see that's where when De Niro, there's a scene when De Niro at the camera angle of you know kicking or like putting his heel of his foot in, in Billy's face. Is like that's what, the, that's what the Irishman try to do, but it just doesn't work when it's like thirty years later, right? Because when he's coming down on him, it's like, oh my god, that's so like vicious. And then Pesci apologizes for getting blood on his floor. Right, eighty-year-old men don't kick uh, skulls in no. very easily <laughs> or smoothly. Um, the other one, that, I, I didn't bring this up with who's that knocking on my door, but with this one too, is the soundtracks are like great in these two movies. I think I think you know uh, Scorsese's got like a really good ear for you know for for music when he's kind of scoring a scene, and he uses a lot of you know original not original I'm sorry he uses a lot of already made sounds like there's a part when at the end of this movie when things are kind of winding down and everybody's getting killed off for the heist you see the uh, they're playing the part of Layla not the music part but just like the refrain the bridge part of Layla which kind of works well with the movie. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what he gets known for. Who's I knocking on my door? They do that where, you know, he, I noticed that they play the doo-wop songs when he's doing, like, the old school family stuff, and then they're playing, like, the doors when he's going through, like, the weird psychedelic stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. I, Scorsese, he's good about using music to set tone, and then also with a film like Goodfellas, where it's going over so many years the music helps uh, set the setting. 
Right. So you, you, you definitely have an idea of the era that you're in. So you get the Rolling Stones. You've got, I think, Bobby Darren. I think it's his real son playing, just singing to his dad's songs was, uh, you know, at one point. So you get, like, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Yeah, and then, yeah, you, like I said, you get the Rolling Stones and you get Eric Clapton. Mm. Well, I, I like Goodfellas. I think it definitely should have won a lot more Academy Awards back in the in 1990. And like I said at the beginning, I think the Academy Award got stuff wrong. And later on, I think Scorsese's gotten a lot more love for films that shouldn't have gotten that much love. What uh, movie won in 1990? Say this. Uh, Dances with Wolves. That's still a good movie. Yeah, see, I mean, yeah. it's not the best. Is it Weinstein? I, mean, I think that doesn't hold up as well as this, but I, mean, I like the I like the '60s crime stuff. Yeah. All right. I say go see the movie once, maybe twice, but not six times because then you won't like it as much. But if you see this, go see it with uh, My Blue Heaven too, because you can see what happens after the fact. That's the double feature Which, you're picking. My My Blue Heaven was written by uh, the writer of this movie's wife, Nora Ephron, I think. Oh, Nick Pelleggi was married to Nora Ephron? Yeah. Huh. So he wrote Goodfellas, the book, and then the movie, and she wrote the sequel movie. It's a little weird meta. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's, that, that's, a, that's a weird one. You want to picture them being together from based off you know, their style. Well, I like it. Um, so that was our second film of uh, three films of Martin Scorsese. Up next, we're going to be looking at the 2002 Scorsese film Gangs of New York. So we're keeping the same setting, but we're going way back to the uh, early 19th century. And arguably, I think this is one of Scorsese's best films. But I'm not sure what you guys will think, and uh, our listeners are going to have to tune in next time for it. You excited, guys? Oh, yeah. This is a good one. <laughs> Always. Always. Um, well, on that then, I leave you with this. There be dragons. Pox at Bonum. Memento Mori. What did you think of today's show? Did the guys get it right? Or are you wondering what movie they watched? Send in your review by tweeting at CSD Podcast, emailing cinemasitdown at gmail.com, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash cinemasitdown. Cinema Sit Down is a Flying Bull production.